While preparing uh, the messages for uh, today, I had hoped to be able to bring you a pair of messages that would go quite nicely together uh, from the Gospels. Uh, but unfortunately, I've, was, I've been unable to reach any sort of peace about this evening's message. And so I'm anticipating bringing you something different. So apologies in advance that you're getting two individual messages rather than a, a nice little pair. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel. It's going to be the first of three very short readings right at the beginning. And then we'll get into the message, okay? So Mark's Gospel and chapter 1. We're reading uh, the three different accounts of the same event. Mark chapter 1. And from verse... Let's see. From verse 29. Mark 1 from verse 29. As soon as they, that is Jesus and some of his disciples had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now turn with me to Luke's Gospel in chapter 4. Luke's Gospel and chapter 4. And we will read from verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and served them. When the sun was setting... All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And then finally, Matthew's Gospel and chapter 8. And this time from verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Amen. 
Now, if any kids are still watching, whether at home or here, you don't have to be a kid to do this. I want you to draw me some pictures as you're listening. And if you want to, you can send them to me afterwards. I always love to see them. I want to see a picture of this door in Peter's house with massive crowds of people outside who are sick and needy. And I want you to show me Jesus carrying all of their sicknesses. Then I want you to draw a picture of that cross with many, many people gathering around it, carrying the burden of their sin. And I want you to show me Jesus carrying them away. We've just read three very short readings which show us an evening in the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in this particular instance, Jesus is in Capernaum, which happens to be a usual haunt of his. And Capernaum's still there, you know. You can go and visit it. Some of you have. It's on the Sea of Galilee. He's come there to worship and to preach in the synagogue. And the synagogue is still there too, or at least a synagogue on the same foundation. Some of you have been there. You can visit that place. You can imagine that scene. You can stand in that synagogue and see James and John. You can see Zebedee there, James and John's father. You can see another pair of brothers, Andrew and Peter, with Jesus in the synagogue. Peter's wife was probably there as well. All these locals. But somebody's missing. Peter's mother-in-law is at home and she's sick with a fever. And so the disciples, they know what to do, don't they? They know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who heals and does wonderful miracles. And so they tell him about Peter's mother-in-law who is sick. And so Jesus immediately goes to Peter's house, which is still there, apparently. You can go and visit there. Have you been there? With a touch and with a word, he miraculously heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I can tell you this, and so can many people here, that preaching sermons can be hard work. And uh, so is healing, apparently. And so being the Sabbath day, Jesus takes a well-needed rest. Making Peter and Andrew's home his for the day or the evening, he flops into a chair or he collapses onto a bed and he rests. But you see, crowds have been following Jesus because of his absolutely amazing sermons. Nobody had ever spoken like this man before. And because of his amazing miracles, he does all things well, they said. And so crowds and crowds and crowds were following him. But because it's the Sabbath day, making longer journeys and carrying sick people is prohibited. You can't do it. And so we read in the Gospels that it was as the sun was setting over the Sea of Galilee that long shadows started to appear on Peter and Andrew's door. As the Sabbath was passing away and the stars were coming in, more and more and more people started to arrive at Peter and Andrew's house until, Mark's Gospel says, the whole city was on the move. So many people making their way, either being carried or carrying someone, knocking that one door, seeking that one person. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a whole city looking for one door? Among these people were people with all sorts of various illnesses. There were people with arthritis, people with pneumonia, people who were blind and being led, people with angina who couldn't walk very far, people with epilepsy, people with chronic pain, the maimed, the injured, the demon-possessed. They were all looking for one door and one person, Jesus Christ. I want you to consider for a moment Jesus' position. This is his first opportunity to rest for a long time. He's just been preaching this enormous sermon. He's come down from the mount. He's preached another sermon in the synagogue, worshipped, and now is his first chance to rest in a friend's home when the whole city arrives at his door looking for him. He's just taught these very people the greatest sermons ever uttered by a human mouth. About what? Do you know? He told them eternal spiritual reality. The kingdom of God. Who is his son? Jesus Christ. What is his gospel? Believe in me and be saved. He's just begun to preach that immortal message. Repent and believe the gospel. Eternal truths unfolded by the Son of God himself about eternal life, about heaven to win, about hell to escape. And why are these crowds here? We aren't told they're here for forgiveness. They're not clambering at the doorframe for salvation. They're not on their knees to worship they're here to be healed of their temporal and temporary needs, as serious as they are. How does Jesus respond? How would you respond? I know how I would. But if you know Jesus Christ at all, you will know that there is not one ounce of bitterness in him at all. It was not from behind a closed door that they heard, go and get your priorities straight. Come back in the morning. Slip your donations under the door. Or, oh, all right then. But rather, after the sun had long gone down, Jesus left his bed, he got from his chair, he went to that door that was rattling off its hinges, and he opened it. Imagine his sight as he opens that door. Imagine Peter watching him, stupefied, as the exhausted Jesus steps into that contagious, sick, poor, needy, desperate crowd in the middle of the night. Jesus of Nazareth heard every sad story. He heard the plea of every man for his parents, for his children. He heard every broken heart. He caught every shed tear. And operating by moonlight, Jesus had compassion. He laid hands on every single one of them and he healed them all. There was nobody left in Capernaum with any sickness, with any disease, with any sorrow that night 
because of the sympathy of Jesus. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 8, Matthew says that this event was to fulfill Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew says that this specific event fulfills that specific verse. But you and I know, because we just read it, that when we read Isaiah 53, we don't read anything about first century Capernaum. We read that it was for us. We read that it applied to us, don't we? That is, those to whom the benefits of Jesus are applied. Those of us who know Jesus, he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And so we're justified in asking and hopefully answering the question, God willing, this morning, in what sense, in what sense does Jesus bear infirmities and carry sicknesses? We're going to see it in, uh, hopefully, if we have enough time, three ways. First, physically, then savingly, and third, if we have time, early. First of all, let's see, how does Jesus carry uh, our burdens and bear our infirmities, our sicknesses, physically? Now, I don't have any children, but I know, I know many of you do. Do you remember, perhaps you still do it, nursing your children because they're sick? You might have to stay home from work to be with them. You keep visiting their bed. You give them crutches to make them feel better. You try and nurse them around. But, you know, sometimes they're just really unwell, aren't they? And you think about calling a doctor. In those times, although you're not unwell, you don't sleep, do you? Although you're not sick, you're not eating. Because... You are feeling your child's sickness. Although you're not unwell, you're bearing their illness. And in that sense, the Lord Jesus really does carry in himself the physical sickness and infirmity of his people. It sounds too good to be true, but it is. That Jesus, the Son of God, really feels for us in his real human heart when he looks down and sees us bearing our infirmity, whatever it is. In a few chapters' time, we see him in Matthew 14, clapping eyes on a multitude of people, and it says he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. Not long before this event, he sees a leper, it breaks his heart, and he has compassion upon him and he heals him. Not long from now, he will meet a widow who is mourning the loss of her son. And he is moved with compassion for her. He says, do not weep. And he heals that problem too. In his life on earth, Jesus Christ did not just come near. But he entered into your experience. He knows your frame because he shares the same. The Lord Jesus didn't just visit a stranger's funeral to examine what mourning is, but he went to his friend's funeral and he felt the grief, he felt the pain himself. The very same pain 
that you and I have felt and many of us are still feeling this morning. The writer to Hebrews uses the same word that Matthew does in Matthew 8 to say that Jesus is a real man with a real human heart and a real human mind. He says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our infirmities. So let me ask you, how do you think Jesus felt when he saw that doorway absolutely crammed, full of poor, sick, ill people looking for him? Had tiredness finally overcome him? Did impatience keep him from that door? Did sleepiness keep him in the bed? Don't think for a moment that he dragged his feet I think he hopped, skipped and jumped. He flew to that door, full of compassion for the desperate people feeling the effects of a fallen world. Where is Jesus now? What do you think he can see? What do you think he can hear where he is now? What do you think he's doing? Although Jesus is currently sitting on the throne of his Father's glory, although his ears are filled with the praises of all of heaven's angels and all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ who have gone ahead of us, although right now his ears are open to all of the churches that may sing, he sees you. He sees your aches. He sees your pains, he sees your disappointments, he sees your broken mind, he sees your broken heart, and God has compassion. He is a real man with a real human heart, and he feels for you. God is thinking about you. Never, ever, ever, ever will there ever be anyone as compassionate as our Lord Jesus, who really feels and carries the burden of our own suffering in his heart. We sing together, don't we, this uh, absolutely fantastic hymn. It's in our supplement, talking about Lord Jesus and his heart. It says, that human heart, he still retains, although he is throned in the highest bliss, And he feels each tempted members, as you and me, he feels all of our pains because our affliction is his. Do you pray? Unfortunately, I know that many of us go Sunday by Sunday praying, but uh, find it hard to pray in the week. Well, may this contemplation of what happened on this night help us to pray as we keep in mind the reality of humanness of Jesus. God has a body. And in that body, he has a real experience of real pain and real suffering. And he really feels for you now. He's entered into our experience, and in so doing, he physically carries in himself our infirmities. He bears our sickness. He knows what it is to be bereaved. 
He knows what it is to have a broken heart. He knows what it is to have unreciprocated love. He knows what it is to have no income. He has the experience of longing for friends to be saved. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to just want it all to end. He knows what it is to be far from home, to feel like there is no point in carrying on. He knows what it is to have wounds which will not heal. So talk to him about it. Take those burdens to him, knowing that he physically actually really does care and feel for you. Secondly, and dare I say more wonderfully, Jesus takes our infirmities and bears our sicknesses savingly. And you can guess where this is going, or at least most of you can. The greatest fulfillment of these amazing verses is the rest of Isaiah 53, and what we call the atonement. That is, when the Lord Jesus, stretched out on that cross, would carry away not just coughs, colds and comas, but he would carry away our sin and our guilt. You see, like this crowd on this night, Our deepest need is not physical healing and sympathy. We have a heavier burden. You and I, we need, we need to be healed of our guilt. Our bigger problem is not our aching joints, not our hurting head and our poor memory. It is the sin which condemns us before God. It needs to be carried away. Do you know how many times Isaiah 53 is referred to in the New Testament? It's a fun one to try and work out. It's it's more than 20. And how many of those more than 20 do you think refer to physical healing? It's just this one in Matthew 8. All the others refer to the spiritual healing which Jesus affords in his death on the cross. One of those is 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so while we all may rest in the knowledge that Jesus bears our illness and feels them with us, Can you rejoice knowing that Jesus does not stop with your aches, pains, and flu, but that he will go to the very end with you, that he will bear your worst sickness for you, that he will bear your sin instead of you? We wonder, absolutely wonder, at the mystery of how Jesus, with a word, can straighten a crooked spine. And with a touch, he can remove brain damage. How much more ought we wonder that the Son of God himself, the Son of God, bears our sin in his body on the cross? All of it. Every drop, every single one. The moral sickness that ruins us. 
The wrongness of our hearts, our crooked wills that just want to do bad, the love of self, every spiteful comment, every nasty text, every addiction, every mean-spirited tweet, every flicker of jealousy, every lustful look, Jesus will bear them all. And so from heaven, we have a man who is God. His name is Jesus. He looks upon this earth. He sees the sick and the sad, and he's moved with compassion for all of us, for you and for me. His heart goes out to us, and he bears with us all of those burdens. And from heaven, there is a man who is God. His name is Jesus. He looks on this earth, and he sees those of us who are still sick, with our sin, slaves to our sin, captives to sin under the condemnation of God because of our sin. And his heart doesn't just go out to us, it is poured out for sinners. He is pouring himself out for sinners who are sick to death with sin. On this amazing night, he saw the sick queuing up at that door and he says, I will heal them. I will. I will go and I will heal them. And this morning, he sees those of us, maybe even some of you, running headlong for hell. And he says, I will save them. I will. I will save them. We're going to sing in a moment. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, and he suffered, and he died alone. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can go to this Lord Jesus, and you can bring to him every diagnosis that you have. You can bring to him your sickness, your sorrow, your sadness, your broken heart, the aches, the pains, the things that keep you up at night. And you can bring your guilt and your sin, everything that is wrong between you and your Father in heaven. And you can watch, you can watch the King of heaven stepping from his throne to take every burden out of your hands to pour himself out to bear your burden for you. Isn't that amazing? On this night, there was a helpless population. They couldn't bear their sorrows any longer. But Jesus has mercy on them and heals every last one of them. This morning, you are helpless. You cannot bear the burden of your sin. You cannot bear it anymore. But the same Jesus will have greater mercy. He longs to hear from you. He longs to, for you to come to him. And he will come to you. Because you know, Jesus is as eager and willing to forgo rest, to heal and bear our illnesses, as he is willing to forgo his very life to bear the guilt, to bear the sin that is crushing you. You see, Matthew 8 is not 
It is not an illustration of the atonement. I'm not saying at all that Matthew 8 is just a relatively meaningless event that's pointing to a more meaningful cross. No. This night was a real foretaste of what was to come. It was like a rehearsal for the great event. A rehearsal for the day when not just Capernaum would gather to Jesus' door, but the whole world, as it were, would gather at the foot of his cross. It was a foretaste of the day when the world and you and I were at risk, not of dying on the doorstep with some plague, but perishing in the hands of an angry and a just and a good God who must punish sin. And on both occasions, the same God, having compassion, bears the infirmity, carries the sickness instead of us. Hanging on the cross, Jesus bore our sin in his body and he died for us. I don't know the answer to this one. Maybe you do, if you've been there. How many doors are in Capernaum? But if you were there on that night, how many doors had a healer behind it? You know, there's only one door that that whole city could go to, to be healed, to have all of their sorrows and sickness carried away. And there is one cross. There is one Lord Jesus there is one mediator between God and men. There is one saviour and you have nowhere else to go. There is only one person who can help you. There is only one person who can carry your sin away. His name is Jesus. You must go to him. You must go to him. We've looked physically and we've looked savingly. But before we do go on, let me ask you, how does Jesus carry your burden? I'm trying to make this personal. If I could, I'd sit you all down one by one. How does Jesus carry your burden? Let me put it to you like this with an illustration. I don't know if you drove here or if you walked here. I did a bit of both. Think about your seatbelt that's in your car. You put it on. It lies across your chest and it gives you some peace of mind, doesn't it? Knowing that it's there... It's ready to save you when you need it. And so we're thankful for our seatbelts and whoever invented them uh, because of that peace of mind that they give us. But some of you are more thankful than I am for seatbelts because you were in car crashes. And it wasn't just ready to rescue you, but it actually did save your life, didn't it? And so when you think of seatbelts, you don't just think of the day when they were ready to rescue you. You remember that day when it did. Now, there are many people in the world who are content to have the Lord Jesus to be their seatbelt on safe journeys. He comforts them, knowing that he's ready to help them at any time. That's enough for them. Maybe that's you this morning. But in this world, there are also Christians and when Christians think of Jesus, they don't think of him as their on-call doctor, their ever-ready assistant. They remember the day when he bore their burdens away. They don't remember the day when he was ready. 
They don't remember the day when he was uh, willing and eager and just waiting for it. They remember when he died to save them from their sin, when he bore their guilt away. The day he went to the cross, bore their heaviest burden, carried their sickest sin they wouldn't confess to anyone. They took it all to him. He actually carried it away. So how does Jesus carry your burden? Does it comfort you to know that Jesus, the Son of God, will bear your burden physically and will feel it with you and you can talk to him about it? I hope it does. It might not. But whatever your answer is, do you want a greater comfort? If you do what he says, if you repent and believe in Jesus, you will know that he hanged on that cross for you that he bore the punishment for your sin, that he took your guilt away, that he took it from you, put it on his own back, and died in your place. So Jesus takes our infirmities, bears our sicknesses physically and savingly, but also, finally, early. We have to do this one fast. We already touched on this just a little bit. So what, what, do we, what do we mean? What do we mean when we say he bore it early? Perhaps looking at it this way will help. You see, the whole planet that we are currently standing on is in the grip of sin and in the grip of curse ever since sin came into it. There's a curse on men and women and children and the whole earth because of sin. Because of sin, everyone who is born on this planet eventually dies. That's just the fact of it. There's pain and there's sorrow in childbirth. Men and women carry sin and guilt in their lives. They have to work, they have to toil for their food. Sickness, sorrow, uh, malady, injury, all these things are just common experiences to go with heartache and sorrow and mental illness. You know, you get psoriasis comes in, depression comes in, loneliness and trauma. These are just normal to us now. Depression, schizophrenia. And the very best that this world can hope for was someone coming to bear that sin, to carry that burden away. And so it's into that desperate scene that Jesus of Nazareth appears. He walks into the world, and as he does so, things start to change. At his coming, that sin started to be borne away, and that curse started to be reversed. At his birth, instead of sorrow in conception, like it says in Genesis, Mary rejoiced. At the feeding of the 5,000, there was no longer any toil in making food. It was freely provided by the hand of God. At Jesus' word, there was no more death, but sin and death was taken away. The dead were raised to life. At his touch, sickness, sorrow, deformity removed gone, sins forgiven, gone. And the effects of the curse were literally being turned around as God once again walked with men and women and lived with them. How can we explain that? The effects of Jesus' cross began to dawn on the world early. 
when you turn your boiler on again, because we've suddenly had a, the cold weather's come in fast, hasn't it? When you turned your boiler on again this winter, did it fire or did you have to call a plumber? When the plumber comes around, he does all this work, he does all the tinkering and twisting and flicking and all the noises they make and uh, I don't know how it all works, it's uh, too clever for me. But they do all that work and then the heating comes on. And you enjoy the heat, you enjoy the warm radiators, you, you breathe a sigh of relief, but you don't pay him until the job is done. And it's a bit like that in the Gospels. We read about men, women, and creation enjoying the steady reversal of the curse. Sickness healed, sins forgiven, men and God dwell together. And then the price was paid on Calvary's tree. And so we read in these Gospels, Capernaum, here is Jesus reversing the curse, taking away sickness, taking away sin, taking away sorrow. And then he has to go to Calvary and pay the price for it. He pays the price with his own life. And this morning we have the privilege to know the effects of that wonderful cross still dawning today. Every day the light of the gospel continues to rise as Christ is born into people's hearts. Is he born into your heart today? Daily now the power of the cross grows greater and greater as more and more turn to Jesus in faith. Have you turned to him in faith? Every day he carries more and more sickness and more and more sin away. Has he carried yours? Every day Jesus wins. He has won and he wins every day until that final day when he will come again. And then what was won and paid for on the cross will be known fully. The effects of the cross will be fulfilled. The curse will be reversed all the way to nothing. There will be absolutely no disease. There will be no sickness. There will be no sin because our Lord Jesus will have borne them all away. Let me give the last words to the psalmist again, this time from Psalm 103, and then we'll quickly pray before we sing to close. Many of you will know these wonderful words off by heart. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Amen. May God bless that to us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess before you now our own crookedness and sinfulness, Lord, and our own desperate need for a saviour. We carry in ourselves not just the effects of sin, Lord, and all of the sickness and aging and sorrow and the marks of death that are upon us already, but we carry in ourselves the very cause of that terrible thing. We carry in ourselves our own guilt and our own sin, Lord, that we have both inherited and contributed to with every evil thought and every wicked deed. And so, Lord, we come to you, Lord, with these 
terrible burdens that we cannot bear to carry any longer. And we plead with you for saving grace, the faith that is necessary to cast all of these burdens upon the Saviour that you have provided for us. We bless you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his most amazing cross, that Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, would pour himself out even unto death, the death upon the cross. Oh Lord, make this true for us, we pray. Don't let us be content to have the Lord Jesus to be our comfort when things are hard. Give us over to throwing everything that we have, all of our burdens and every sin upon him, we pray. We plead with you for salvation in his name. Amen.